James Patterson has a net worth of $800 million, which makes him the wealthiest fiction writer in America. And so he's going to use an opportunity to claim that the state of writing for males in America or in the world is suffering. I don't think that's true because Sean Stevenson wrote Sleep Smarter without citing a single peer-reviewed paper and claimed science behind every single thing that he said, James. So Sean is publishing books out there. I think we can assume that, um, you know, uh, people are doing okay. People are doing all right. Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandevin. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. Hello, hi, and welcome to Medium Lady Talks. I'm your host, Erin. Today is episode 41. I am going to go through four books that are one-star reviews. So we are going to dive into a bit of a roast of four books that I read in the spring of 2022. And I'm just going to dive right into everything I did not like about these books. I'm not going to say that I hated them because I did finish them. And I am not exactly sure at what point I decided that I didn't like these books. But I'll be honest with you is usually, if I really don't like a book, I'll know from the first two or three chapters, and I'll just, you know, pass on the book and move on to something else. And generally, I don't even talk about those books. I don't even share about them. I don't tend to form an opinion. Why would I form an opinion when I didn't read the book? I don't think that's really fair to do. Typically, somewhere close to the back half of the book or the end, sometimes even a couple of days after finishing a book, does my opinion really become fully formed and I make a decision about the fact that I really didn't like the book very much at all. So we're going to dive into uh, four of those books. Four feels like a lot, but I definitely feel like in the last year, definitely 2022 has been a huge reading year for me. I'm really making my way through a lot more books a lot more often. I think I found my reading sweet spot, which is super exciting. And so I'm I'm picking more books and I'm getting my way, making my way through more books, but I'm also liking more of the books that I'm reading. And that's just because ever since April of 2020, I decided that I was going to spend my free time reading. And I did that because on Instagram, I tend to give myself a monthly experiment. I give myself four mini self-care goals in the categories of read, play, uh, try and think. Although in April of 2020, this was still like a very new idea. And I don't think I quite had those categories nailed down. April of 2020 was a really, you know, obviously very early in the pandemic. And I realized that I wanted to cultivate a really relaxed vibe for myself because I knew that my family would need me. I was home on maternity leave and they were not expecting to be home. My husband was working from home as a teacher. My kids, both of whom were in school, were taking, you know, virtual school. And my baby, you know, my baby didn't really know better. But I was the one who was going to be home anyway. And I felt like this real responsibility for what I thought was going to be a short period of time to be able to remain calm. And the way that I was going to remain calm was to cultivate a relaxed vibe 
one of the things I was going to do that was going to be relaxing was going to be to read. And I think I used the hashtag, I'd rather be reading or something like that, so that I would actually stay away from my phone. I think it was a strategy to spend more time with books so that I would be more relaxed, but also to use books as a substitute for social media or scrolling or whatever it was going to be. And ever since that, in April of 2020, I've actually found this really building, growing momentum of my reading habit, but more so is the habit has evolved into a hobby. So all of that to say is that, you know, since April of 2020, we're here, it's the very end of July 2022, I'm finding myself well, you know, well two years and beyond into cultivating this habit. And I'm really starting to find that uh, it's gotten easy. Should I say it's gotten easy? I would say it's something I don't think about. I don't think about making time for reading. It just happens. It's just a very natural and normal way for me to spend my time. Because of that, I'm making my way through a lot more books. I'm saying that because I really believe in role modeling the process. Maybe role modeling is the wrong word. I really believe in talking my way through the process. It's one thing for me to help you by talking your way through what would help you read more often. But sometimes we just need to understand what gets a person from point A to point B. And so I like to talk through, as a reader, what got me from point A, which was reading irregularly and sporadically and having a hard time picking what I really liked, to point B, which is reading every single day, making my way through many books, and knowing with uh, really good intuition what I like to read and what I don't. That was a two-year journey. For some people, it might be a three-month journey. For other people, it might be a five-year journey. Either way, there's a process. There is a process to going from being someone who doesn't read very much to someone who does. And I'm just sharing that because I think that we're all consuming, at least the people that I know, are really influenced by a lot of book culture out there. Books are bigger than they ever have been before. And I think that we're all probably feeling a bit of push to be readers or to be consuming more books. And I just want to say that if that's you, if you're someone who doesn't read very often and you'd like to be reading more, just give yourself a couple of years to figure that out, to figure out what that's going to look like for you. Because if you're hearing this podcast and you're thinking, wow, she makes her way through a lot of books, there was a time when I wasn't doing that. And there may very well in the future be a time when I'm not doing that again. But regardless, it was a process that got me from not reading very much to reading as much as I do now. That being said, I think that, you know, like I said, when you make your way through a lot of books, some of them are just going to have to be duds personally. Usually when I do my book review episodes, I talk about three separate categories. I talk about the medium lady must reads. I talk about the know yourself books. That's really a lot of what I'm talking about right now, which is just like, know who you are, know what you're into, know what you like, and make sure that you are spending your time in that area of books. But those are books that are hard to recommend to everybody because they're usually something really specific about them that caters to my interests as a reader. And then there are the probably past books. So these four books are definitely probably past books, but they go a little bit more than that. They go a little bit deeper than that for me in terms of just how much I don't like those books. That being said, the structure for this episode today is going to follow the same structure that I use for probably pass in my full book episodes, 
And that's going to be to give you my review. I'll give you a synopsis. And then I'll go around on Goodreads and I'll talk about somebody who had a completely opposite opinion to me. And that's just to make sure that we're giving a really healthy, broad overview of a book. Listen, writing a book is hard. And no matter what, it's an effort that deserves recognition. And so I want to also acknowledge that me not liking a book doesn't necessarily qualify it as a bad book. Uh, and that is proven true by reading a positive review from somebody else. Um, so I'm going to be, you know, floating around on Goodreads when I talk about these books. If you want to uh, be friends with me on Goodreads, you can find me. My name is Erin Vandevin. You'll find me over there. And um yeah, I don't do a lot of written reviews, but I do just give, you know, the Goodreads has a five-star um, <laughs> five rating, I guess, what do you call that? A five-star rating system. And so I will rate books based on their system. Um, if you're interested in what I have been reading, and that might give you a bit of a preview into um, what's going to be upcoming on the podcast. All right, let's dive in. I'm going to actually dive in with the first book that I like the least, and then I'm going to do two more books, and then the last book that I dislike the least too. So I'm going to bookend my truly deep disdain books are going to be the bookends of this episode, and then some books that I'm like, eh, you, you don't need that. There's better books out there. Uh, are there going to be these two books in the middle? <laughs> um, the first book is nonfiction. This book is called Sleep Smarter. 21 Essential Strategies to Sleep Your Way to a Better Body, Better Health, and Bigger Success by Sean Stevenson. Oh, gosh. I am going to give myself a time limit for how long I could rant about this stupid book. Here's the synopsis. Sleep Smarter is a fun and entertaining look at how sleep impacts your mind, body, and performance without skimping on the how-tos to get the sleep you really deserve. Whether you've struggled with sleep problems or you're simply interested in living a longer, healthier life, you're going to be blown away with what you learn. Here's just a sampling of what you're going to dis discover. And then it goes on and on. Sean Stevenson is the creator of the Model Health Show, which is a podcast, and it's rated here as the number one nutrition and fitness podcast on iTunes. He's considered a leading health expert who's transformed the lives of thousands of people around the world. Because of his, he's got a, you know, a background in biology and kinesiology. I'm not sure what that means. He's the founder of the Advanced Integrative Health Alliance, a company that provides wellness services for individuals and organizations. Wellness services is capitalized. This is all just like vague, self-made man kind of talk. He's a dynamic speaker who's spoken for TEDx. I'm just not sure why this makes him an expert in any way whatsoever. The fact that he cultivates and curates knowledge about health doesn't make him an expert in any way. And that just becomes bigger and bigger problem as you read this book. The thing that I liked the least about this book, actually, before I get into that, let me dive into um, how I found this book. So I have mentioned off and on probably many times that I am a huge fan of the Currently Reading podcast. And I do my best to um, pick up a couple of their reviews with many of the episodes that I enjoy. And this one book was a real, um, a really strong recommendation from Meredith Monday Schwartz, one of the hosts. And she had said that some of the things she put into practice from this book really helped her and that she felt like it was a really great nonfiction book that was practical and easy to read and that she really was 
really pleased with just how much she kind of learned about her sleep and what she was able to put into practice. Now, I am somebody who does struggle with sleep off and on. And I thought, hey, you know, I tried all kinds of different things. Some things work, some things don't. The biggest thing for me about sleep is to just remain as consistent with my routine as possible. But I'm always open and willing to try new things. So I picked up this book from the library. Honestly, I wish I hadn't finished it, but I really just kept pressing through, hoping that eventually I would find my way to what Meredith Monday Schwartz found so redeeming about this book. And essentially, it's page after page of pseudoscience, common sense. There's constant self-promotion in this book. He's either referencing another website, another paid service opportunity. He's referencing his own podcasts. He's referencing his own YouTube videos. He's basically written this book to refer back to himself as a subject matter on health. Honestly, There's constant reference to scientific material, but there is absolutely no index in this book whatsoever. Anything that's called Sleep Smarter 21 Essential Strategies and then starts to delve into health science research better have a well-thought-out list of citations to back up the claims that you're making. There's nothing like that in this book, which A, makes me really suspicious of the references, and B, means that his readers, or he at least thinks his readers, aren't interested in that kind of information, which also makes me feel concerned about him as a, you know, advocate and expert. One of the other things is that, you know, there's almost everything in this book is attainable, but not all of it is attainable. And there's a lot of the book where he just completely deviates from the subject of sleep. And he just sort of starts to get on a high horse about being a healthy, perfect person. There's things like acupuncture, buy a new mattress, make sure your pajamas are high quality, eat perfectly, work out, work out at 6 a.m. Don't work out in the evening. If you work out in the evening, also do a light workout at 6 a.m. Don't drink coffee, drink a lot of water, Uh, pay attention to, you know, the noise in your room, pay attention to the temperature of your room. And then there's other things like electromagnetic resonance. And he talks about, you know, sex. He talks about Um, eating real food, you know, he he claims to share recipes. It's just like, so all over the place that at a certain point, you step back, you feel like you're reading a collection of short articles that were written to fill space for ads in a women's magazine, to be honest with you. It's just like, page after page of like, what feel like sort of quick edited one pagers. It feels like all of the text should be in like a standout box on the side of a margin somewhere. It's just like constantly pivoting from thing to thing. And he calls all of these things power tips. You know, I think the other thing is that you start to consider at the beginning that he's gonna convince you to make lifestyle changes. But then all of a sudden, you realize that To have good sleep, you basically need to live a perfect life. He's honestly done a really good job of marketing the idea of good sleep. He's done a good job of pulling people in and encouraging people to, you know, make lifestyle changes in order to have better sleep. But it's very, you know, thin at the end of the day. And I don't like that he's selling something that he can't deliver on or that actually I think 
puts people in a place where they're actually worse off after reading this book. The other thing is this book is in no way like scanned for heteronormative values. It's uh, does nothing for diversity. It has no acknowledgement of the impacts of race or class or the impact of socioeconomic status, the impact of culture, the impact of um, different, you know, um, approaches to sleep um, based on, you know, who you are or where you come from or the things that might actually be getting in the way of your sleep. There's nothing about that in this book. Why are you not sleeping? He never asks that question. He just says, obviously, you just need to be a better person. If you were a good person like me, and he does refer to his own personal story quite a lot. If you're a good person like me, you'd sleep great because I sleep great. <laughs> it just doesn't. <laughs> it's not fair. It's kind of like embarrassing at a certain point for him to say, you know, if you were a successful guy like me, then you would sleep better. It's, it just doesn't work that way. Um, I don't know. You know, I am a little bit disappointed in myself that I actually, um, made my way through this book. Uh, I think that there's a lot that it doesn't talk about. Um, but it very quickly, like, you know, there's this line where he talks about like bras cause cancer and, you know, you just start to kind of like dislike yourself. There's these comments about shift workers, which is basically like shift workers. <laughs> I think one of the lines is actually like, shift workers are the cornerstone of our society and they keep everything running. But if you want to be a good sleep, if you want to have a good sleep, you should stop being a shift worker. It's, it's so unhelpful. It's basically like, if you want to, if you want to get good sleep, don't be a shift worker. That's like, it, it not, how did you write a whole chapter on that? I just can't understand. Um, and then there's a lot of talk about just uh, tools and tricks that are going to be way out of zone for the I don't want to say the average person, but I think these are just like expensive treatments and therapies for even people who are living with average incomes, you know, uh, tons of discussion and promotion of um, supplements, tons of promotion of, you know, special tools and techniques and lamps and acupuncture. He really pushes a lot of acupuncture, never mind the ways that he's pushing that you buy his own products. Either way, you know, I am really surprised this book has a 3.95 uh, average on Goodreads. That's out of 7,095 ratings. I think I've said enough about why I totally loathe this book, but let's hear from somebody who loved it. So let's find a five-star review. Uh, let's see. I always like to get something that's a little bit um, meaty. Okay, here's a five-star review from Mimi. Mimi says... I've long felt better sleeping habits could make a marked difference in my life, but Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson reveals exactly how. Spoiler alert, it is so valuable, I wanted to take the time to share the key secrets so you can start taking action immediately, but do read the whole book to soak up all the wisdom. <laughs> Mimi, you're gonna, you're gonna write out, you're gonna do like a Mimi's Cold Notes of this book? Note, you may want to verify the science and data behind some of Sean's claims. Oh, that's helpful, Mimi. She loved this book, but she's suggesting in her review that you've... Yeah, oh my. Okay, Mimi, uh, we're on for the ride now. Buckle up, everyone. But regardless, I still found these tips below helpful as I've used many of them. Sleep is the secret ingredient, all caps. 
You can eat well and exercise, but it may be futile to get the health you want or to be as productive as you want without sleep. Not only will it be much harder to get that ideal size, but studies show increased risk of death. Okay, yeah, that's that's another... I gotta pause, Mimi. I'm so sorry. The book is not only sexist, it's also full of fat shaming, and it's tremendously ableist. In addition to the fact that they really did nothing to review any of the content or diagrams for heteronormative standards or imaging exclusive of white people, it's just highly problematic from that point of view. It's not asking any curious questions about the things that get in the way of people getting a good night's sleep. Anyway, Mimi goes on and on. Set up a schedule. Get 10 to 15 minutes of direct sunlight between 6 and 8 a.m. It's like, I'm supposed to sleep better, but I also have to be in direct sun between 6 and 8.30 in the morning. It's like, don't be a parent. Uh, Don't have a, you know... (laughs) I feel like sleeping smarter would include sleeping between the hours of 6 a.m. and any time. I don't know. Oh, okay. Mimi does go into great detail. And to be honest with you, you could probably read this post uh, and not read the book. You would get the same thing out of it. She really does. She goes through all 21 tips and summarizes them. I'm I'm not I'm not going to read that whole thing. Okay, here's one other five-star review and then we'll move on to another book because I've definitely spent probably about 10 minutes hating on this book. Here's Marilyn W. And she's given the book five stars. She says, I've been working on my sleep for a very long time. Although I also have not been working on my sleep very well for a very long time. Oh, that sentence was challenging to say out loud. Okay. I already knew almost everything in this book. And when I put these things into practice, my sleep improves immensely. But when I let things slip, I go back to my slovenly sleep ways. Oh, Marilyn, have a bit of self-compassion. Recently, I had to go out of town and stayed in a hotel for three nights, and having just read the first five chapters of the book, I remember to put them in practice and slept the best I've slept in a long time. (laughs) But Marilyn, don't you think that might have been because you were in a hotel? For some reason? Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Marilyn says that she knew everything in the book, and when she put it into practice, her sleep improves. Let that be a lesson to all of us is that we don't need to read this book because we've read it all before. And sometimes what makes sleep hard is why we're not sleeping well. And good sleep habits don't always address why we're not sleeping well. They just improve your sleep if you're kind of at a baseline net neutral for sleep. But I don't know anybody after a pandemic who doesn't have at least some pretty good reasons as to why they're not sleeping well. Uh, that's Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson. Let's move on. I think I've definitely spent way more time than I intended to on this book, but I, I couldn't have liked it less if I could have given it zero stars. I would have given it zero stars on Goodreads, but it's got a one star review. Okay, we're going to pivot from Sean to a book, a novel. What do we call this book? Young Adult Dystopian Fiction, which usually, if you've been listening to Medium Lady Talks, you know that this is a sweet spot quadrant for me. Young adult dystopian fiction, fantasy, um, should have been, should have been a home run for for me. Uh, we're talking about The Gracier by Kim Legit. Oh gosh, there's so much to say about this book. I'm just going to say it's problematic with a capital P. This book, I read the whole thing probably in less than 24 hours, which is a, is a red flag for me. If I finish a book in less than 24 hours, generally, not generally, maybe 50% of the time, I actually really hated the book. 
And that's true of a couple of my previous book review episodes. So if you want to go back and listen to some of my other book review episodes, you'll notice my probably past books. I say quite a lot. I finished this book in less than 24 hours and I really didn't like it. I probably have to think a little bit more about why that's the case. But um, that being said, The Grace Year by Kim Legit. Here's a bit of a synopsis. On Goodreads, it says, no one speaks at the Grace Year. It's forbidden. In Garner County, girls are told they have the power to lure grown men from their beds to... Oh, God. I already hate it so much. Girls are told they have the power to lure grown men from their beds, comma. Okay? Yeah, just just let that, like, boil your blood a bit. To drive women mad with jealousy. They believe their very skin emits a powerful aphrodisiac, the potent essence of youth, a girl on the edge of womanhood. This is gross. That's why they're banished for their 16th year, to release the magic into the wild so they can return purified and ready for marriage. But not all of them will make it home alive. Yeah, plot twist. 16-year-old Tierney James dreams of a better life, a society that doesn't pit friend against friend or woman against woman. But as her own grace year draws near, she quickly realizes it's not just the brutal elements they must fear. It's not even the poachers in the woods, men who are waiting for a chance to grab one of the girls in order to make a fortune on the black market. Their greatest threat may very well be each other. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, this book was just, uh, it's a tough hang. So here's the thing, is this book is easy to read, and so you'll get kind of carried away with the story. And the character of Tyranny has all of the classic hallmarks of your Katniss Everdeens, but eventually the plotline of the story just becomes so gross. It just becomes so upsetting. This book is kind of written by a woman about women They're calling it a feminist retelling of Lord of the Flies, but I actually think it's worse than that because there's so much that doesn't get fixed in this book. And I just don't think that you learn anything about feminism from this book. So she has this male friendship. Um, Everybody's anticipating before I can't even, I can't even find the words to like describe this book. Okay, let me just get myself together. So of course you open up with Tierney. She's like, obviously not like other girls. Clearly she's, you know, better than the other stupid girls in the town. And she's smarter than them. And she knows more about the forest. And, you know, her dad has apparently been teaching her all of these things. But there is this kind of like mystery that the book is leading you towards. So in this in this town, all these 16-year-old girls are rounded up. Before they're rounded up, they're married off. They're, like, betrothed. And then they're sent to this walled encampment in the woods for a whole year to purge themselves of their, like, feminine magic. And no one is allowed to talk about what happens during that year. So these women come back, and they've been through – they're given essentially nothing. They come back with missing fingers, missing ears. Some don't come back at all. But then when they come back, these women are forbidden from telling others what they've been through or telling other women. So it's just like starts to really escalate in violence, especially after Tierney and her cohort of girls are brought to this encampment. It sort of just starts to become like more and more senseless. And then, of course, there are some other male characters that enter the storyline. 
for whatever reason. Of course, they all fall in love with Tierney. She gets exiled at one point. Some girls die. And then, you know, it just kind of keeps going from there. It's so, you know, tough that, like, by the end of this book, you're kind of left worse off than it started. You feel kind of used because, you know, she sort of comes back and ends up marrying her betrothed and, like, building a life with him, but sort of finding a way to to fight the grace. Like, you know, I, I barely remember the ending. I think that there's so many points when Kim legit kind of layers shocker on shocker on shocker that she can't write herself out of the story um, to the point where, you know, it would have been better for this book to do less. It would have been better for this book to say less or to pick a point of view on feminism, to pick a point of view on, you know, uh, internalized misogyny, to pick a point of view on bro code to pick a point of view on gosh i don't you know just just choose one thing and and go after that but um i think at so many points uh there's just all these layers at the end that you're sort of reading this chapter and you're kind of getting a bit of whiplash for how quickly the book gets wrapped up in a terrible terrible way i think that of course you know this this girl, Tierney, comes from this huge family, and some of her sisters have survived the grace year. Her mother has survived the grace year. The fact that nobody was willing to, like, take care of the other girls in this town is just, like, so, like, sickening and manipulative and upsetting at the end. But not only that, is that that idea just gets layered with, like, trope upon trope upon trope upon trope, you know? The the side characters, the villains, the relationships, you know, I think it's it's so questionable just how this this girl Tierney, who's supposed to be different from all the other girls, really just kind of ends up living a quintessential life at the end. Um and 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 totally makes her way, you know, yeah, so at the end of the Grace Year, she comes back to her town and they're sending a whole other group of Grace Year girls out to like to go back. I just like what? And then, oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, I'm forgetting. There was this, there's this, like, this, like, group of usurpers. They've been trying to, like, usurp the grace year. But it's been 10 years. So it's like, what are you talking about? You've been trying to take over for 10 years while your daughters are just, like, trotted off and dying? Like, what is going on? I feel like this this is getting a little bit incoherent. Um, I did... I did end this book and think like, whoa, that was a trip. And my feelings for it did not quite evolve until maybe 24 hours later. And then I listened to actually a really funny podcast that does like uh, really negative reviews of best-selling books. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Yeah, I can't I can't quite find the exact the exact podcast that I listened to about this book specifically, but they really went all out on it and and they pointed out even more things about this book to hate that I hadn't noticed on the first reading. So that probably really sealed the deal for me and I will put the link to that podcast in the show notes. Okay, that was that was The Grace Year by Kim Legit. 
All right. You know, I got to admit, I thought it would be fun or funny to do a book review episode of books that I really did not like, but I'm into my third of four books now. And I don't know, I'm kind of like not feeling great. I think this is not quite my personality to really go all in on why I hated something, at least not to do it like in full at least not to do it in like one full episode. <laughs> so listen, lessons learned. Um, my sister Hannah is the one who suggested that I divide my book episodes into more episodes that I do like that I chop them up a little bit because I usually do all of my books in one episode. It's like 15 books or whatever. It's like a ridiculous amount. And the probably past books are a small, usually a small part of that episode. But doing a book episode completely focused on the books that I really didn't like, um, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of like getting harder and harder for me to remain coherent and explaining why I didn't like these books. Okay. The next book is a thriller. It's called The Heights by Louise Candlish. This book I found through the Globe and Mail. Uh, they had done a summer thriller review. They had recommended a number of exciting upcoming new books for folks to read in the summer. The thriller genre is really popular in the summertime. And the Globe and Mail is a national Canadian newspaper. So I grabbed, you know, I think three or four titles from the synopses in that book that generally seemed really, really exciting to me, and The Heights was one of them. So here's a synopsis on Goodreads. The Heights is a tall, slender apartment building among warehouses in London. Its roof terrace is so discreet you wouldn't know it existed if you weren't standing at the window of the flat directly opposite. But you are. And that's when you see a man up there. A man you'd recognize anywhere. He may be older now, but it's definitely him. But that can't be because he's been dead for over two years. You know this for a fact, because you're the one who killed him. So, if you feel compelled by that, I don't blame you. I still read it and feel compelled by it. Unfortunately, this book really just doesn't deliver on uh, its promises. <laughs> And and sometimes when you read a thriller and you sort of feel like you've got a sense of the ending before the book has even begun, you really wonder how the author is going to convince you of, of the thrill. If this guy is supposed to be dead, then what was the thrill of it all? Um, this book is told in two uh, parts, and it sort of talks about the series of events that led up to this man being killed and the series of events that are leading up to the sort of downfall of the main character as she realizes that he's not in fact dead. Um, the real problem with this book is actually that um, there's one other character, main character, which is the main character um, tells most of the story. There's also the structure of a reporter who's sort of reporting on her from jail. Um, so we find out that she eventually goes to jail. So we're sort of curious about why she's in jail. She tells a lot of the story sort of out of jail. And then there's a couple of chapters that are told from her ex-husband's point of view. Now, all of this, again, while I was reading it, was extremely compelling. However, eventually, you get to the point where you're so tired of the main character's behavior that you actually can't wait for the book to be over. The main character was so hard to spend time with. She was this upper middle class woman who sort of decided that her son had this friend that she hated and she goes through trauma and eventually that trauma sort of transforms into really, really terrible perspective on the world, a really 
narcissistic and manipulative way of, you know, making her way through um, navigating and trying to reconcile some trauma that happens in her life. Uh, but, but even that being said, I don't know if we're supposed to sort of admire this woman for her dedication to motherhood. There's another, you know, character that she has a daughter. She sort of completely abandons her daughter, but in an obsessive kind of way. Um, there's, you know, um, a very unusual sort of allusion to the physical traits of the main character and the physical traits of the character that gets murdered, the man that gets murdered, and how much they look alike, which kind of goes nowhere. Um, The end has a twist that was just not necessary and kind of makes you feel sorry for, um, it makes you feel sorry for the, the, (laughs) how do I call him? the the sort of uh the focus of her all of her rage um i also think that i'm trying to talk about this book without giving spoilers but i don't want you to read it so in the end you know from the beginning of the, i'm just going to spoil it you know from the beginning of the book that this main character has been arrested for murdering this man but she thinks she's already murdered him uh back in the day because her and her husband arranged for him to be murdered by a hitman. Turns out her ex-husband chickens out, and he actually tells the kid to skip town. And he uses the money to supposedly pay off the hitman to start, like, a microbrewery. And he becomes really successful, and they maintain a relationship. This woman gets remarried, she has a daughter, etc., etc. And then what happens is she sees that this man has not been killed and so she gets really really upset that the hitman never followed through on the on the the hit and so she starts to obsess about him and she starts to stalk him essentially to figure out what's going on and he's kind of tried to rebuild this brand new identity long story short at the end her husband her ex-husband is the one who ends up killing this guy but she takes the blame for it I mean, I don't know. I still feel like with that, like, main plot line, you'd be like, yeah, I could probably read that book. I wouldn't mind reading that over, like, a beach holiday. Um, (laughs) But just don't. There's other books out there. There's other really great thrillers out there. This book was just kind of senseless at the end. It was, like, white middle class people doing white middle class things and with white middle class entitlement. I I don't know. I I just thought, like, eh, you know, eh. And it's called The Heights, which has to do with this building, but the building doesn't feature prominent. Well, actually, no, that I take it back. The title does have some random relevance, but it's just like all of these little things that could have culminated in a much better way end up culminating in a very lame way. And so that's always disappointing to me when an author spends time piquing your interest chapter after chapter, laying the foundation of character traits that are seeming to go somewhere momentum that you're buying into but then what happens at the end is it just like sputters out of gas i i don't like that i I think it's lazy writing and lazy editing and when books are being published in 2021 2022 like it's so competitive out there you have to be writing better just because you've 
she's an internationally best-selling author. I just, I feel like this book lost steam and she didn't know how to write the ending and her editor didn't push her to write a better one. So, oh golly, that's The Heights by Louise Candlish. Okay, it's a good thing I saved this book for last because I really loathe this book and I'm going to tell you not to read it. Please do not read this book. This book is everywhere right now. I found this book because I was waiting for... I was waiting for a rapid antigen test before traveling to the States for work in the pharmacy. I was waiting for my results to be, uh, to come up and I was perusing the book section of the pharmacy and my pharmacy is like kind of probably like, like a CVS or a Walgreens, like pretty big. It has lots of different things beyond just being a pharmacy. And one of the things they have is a book section and they sell a lot of I guess, books that are on like the top book charts or books that are of really good press or expected to sell a lot of copies. And there's, you know, you see a lot of the same authors, the like Jody Picouls and the, um, yeah, books like that, right? So um, this book is Run, Rose, Run by Dolly Parton and James Patterson. Now, I've never read James Patterson, but I do have a special soft spot in my heart for Dolly Parton. And I thought, Well, if Dolly Parton decided to partner with James Patterson, you know, mystery thriller writer, then that's probably going to be a pretty fun book to read. I put it on hold at the library. Part of me wishes actually I had done this by audiobook because I'm realizing now on Goodreads that Dolly Parton is uh, one of the narrators of the audiobook and Kelsey Ballerini, who is a country singer, is also one of the narrators in the audiobook. So that might have been pretty good. I guess it probably would have softened the blow of this book. Uh, Let me read a bit of a synopsis. (laughs) James Patterson is like a very well-known sort of like a pulpy thriller writer. He probably writes a couple books every year. And I'll go more into James Patterson later. But you may remember earlier this year, one of my favorite books of the winter was A State of Terror, which was a partner buddy, buddy writing situation between Hillary Clinton and Louise Penny. And I really, really liked that book. So I thought, hey, maybe the like famous person partners with well-known author to write thriller books is like a new thing and a new a new genre of book that I'm going to love. Um, but I've never read James Patterson before. And I had read Louise Penny before. And I think that is probably much more important than how much you like the co-author. So the fact that I really liked Dolly Parton, but I never read James Patterson was probably flag number one. Here's the synopsis of Run, Rose, Run. Every song tells a story. She's a star on the rise, singing about the hard life behind her. She's also on the run. Find a future, lose a past. Nashville is where she's come to claim her destiny. It's also where the darkness she's fled might find her and destroy her. Run, Rose, Run is a novel glittering with danger and desire, a story that only America's number one most beloved entertainer and its number one best-selling author could have created. Oh man, you know, it just seems like this book should be totally harmless. And it kind of is, except for one really big problem that I have. And that is actually not much about the book at all. That is about James Patterson himself. James Patterson recently was quoted in an interview with the Sunday Times stating that he felt that in the current state of book publishing, that white male writers were experiencing racism when they struggled to find opportunities. He was saying, can you get a job? 
it's harder for white authors to get a job and it's even harder for white, old white, white male authors to get a job. He says, you don't meet many 52 year old white male authors. Oh my golly. So I'm just like baffled as to why this man is using his platform in such a way to speak about things that he's obviously wrong about. Because, you know, you just have to go anywhere to figure out just how many books were authored by white writers, how many books are authored by white male writers, and how many mainstream literary publications are devoted to non-binary writers, people of marginalized communities, racialized writers, black writers, indigenous writers, South Asian writers, Asian writers. I just can't imagine that. The other thing is James Patterson has a net worth of $800 million, which makes him the wealthiest fiction writer in America, the second wealthiest author in the world after J.K. Rowling. And so he's going to use an opportunity to claim that the state of writing for males in America or in the world is suffering. It just, I can't, I'm going to, I'm just, you know, it's like, Well, I don't think that's true because Sean Stevenson wrote Sleep Smarter without citing a single peer-reviewed paper and claimed science behind every single thing that he said, James. So Sean is publishing books out there. I think we can assume that, um, you know, uh, people are doing okay. He's People are doing all right. Now, I think that James Patterson has kind of redacted and sort of explained and said, like, I didn't mean racism. I think he apologized for, you know, the statements that he made. But honestly, like this 75-year-old white guy, he's written more than 300 books. He sold more than 500 million copies uh, of his his works. And I just think that an apology is actually not enough. Like just uh, maybe, maybe send some of your millions of dollars to support authors of color or authors uh, that are that are writing stories from a point of view that isn't even close to your own. You know, honestly, I think like any library is is full of James Patterson books and if and if some of those books were replaced by by marginalized authors then there would still be more Patterson. There would still be more Patterson books than any other book, you know, I'm I'm quoting from um from an article here in the Guardian about his apology, which I think is a great point by a librarian. I found this out after reading Run, Rose, Run. And Run, Rose, Run, I'll be honest with you, it's very easy to read. It's kind of boring. Spoiler alert. At the end, you find out, you're kind of wondering, like, this this ingenue, she comes to Nashville, she starts performing, she gets picked up by a sort of Dolly Parton-esque uh, godmother, fairy godmother. She starts to become famous, but her past is coming to haunt her, and there are these hitmen that are essentially looking to kind of like punish her for whatever she's run away from. And eventually you find out is that like she's being sex trafficked and she escaped sex trafficking. And it's done in this like such a cavalier way when she finally tells her story that she's been sex trafficked. And then it's like happily ever after, I guess you're going to be a famous singer now and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, what? All along, it was this horrific, traumatic, and the internal the internal monologue of this character leaves reveals nothing of that. It just was like it infuriated me. 
that that was the choice of the writers and that Dolly Parton was like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Like what? Oh, it just was so um, sensationalist and all for the sake of, of storytelling. You know, I mean, there's, there's three characters, essentially. There's the Dolly Parton character. There's this young ingenue, like up and comer performer. And then there's this, you know, middle-aged hunk. And the hunk is like a former army superstar. What do they call them? Army hero. You know, I just think you could just pass. There's going to be so many other books out there that are going to, you know, have a love story, have a suspense, have a bit of, you know what, honestly, go ahead and read The Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully. That book is a thousand times what this book could be. A thousand times better than this book. And it contains a thriller. It contains the mystery. It contains crime. It contains culture. It contains the point of view of an indigenous character. It has a strong, strong female cast of characters. It has a romance. Um, it's funny. I think you're going to get way more out of The Firekeeper's Daughter than this book. It's easy to read. It's a way to pass the time, but probably going to get pretty mad at the end of it. I don't know. Books that make you mad. Books that make you mad at the end. A, I'm never going to read James Patterson again because I just like don't have time for it. Um, and, uh, B, it's also taught me to pay attention to the authors that I do choose and where they're sitting in the cosmos of authorship, because authors like James Patterson are, you know, cranking out books and taking up space and airwaves for other books and other authors. There's really only so much airtime out there for everybody. And I'm going to pay more attention. I'm going to pay more attention to where I'm getting my recommendations. Maybe I'm going to stop taking recommendations from the uh, from the pharmacy book selection. Um, although I'm not, that's not true, actually, because I've read two other books from that pharmacy run. And uh, one of them was not great, but the other one was really good. So I don't know, you know, like, um, this is, again, part of the process. So I'll go back to what I said in the beginning. Remember that the journey to being a reader, at least a person who's reading all the time, is going to have to come with reading a couple of books that you hate. And that's going to give you a lot of really salient information about your reading life. And use that not to stall out, not to have your reading life sputter out and die because you picked up a book and you didn't like it. Use that as fuel to make your next choice. So let's work through that with this book Run, Rose, Run. I'm not going to read a, a five-star review of this book just because I think James Patterson's had enough airtime. And um, we we love Dolly Parton. She doesn't need us. She's okay. Um, I, I'm just going to pass on, you know, um, spouting the merits of this book. I hope you're okay with that. But what I am going to say is let's pull this book apart, the things that I didn't like about it, and let's talk about what I should look for next. So the things I didn't like about this book, I did not like um, the violence in this book and the way the character just bounced back from violence. So there's a couple of moments where she gets kind of jumped by the hitmen and they really do a number on her and she has to go to the hospital. But then the next day, it's sort of like it didn't happen. Uh, and nobody sort of treats her as someone who's been the victim of a physical assault. So I don't like violence for the sake of violence. So I have to be careful that when I'm picking a book that might have violence in it, that I understand that it's uh, B, 
being written with the sense of a character who's going through something transformational or a character who's working through something um, traumatic. Not necessarily the case of this book, which is sort of about like a star on the rise. Now, I probably couldn't have known that about the violence and I'd never read James Patterson before. So, but my next book, I might look for a book that actually has no violence at all. So let's just put that out there. I did not like the violence in this book. Um, and so my next book, I'm going to look for a book that isn't violent. The next thing about this is I really didn't like the hero. I did not like the male protagonist. And he was sort of this one-dimensional, you know, strong, silent type. I think that he really had almost no backstory to speak of. I actually don't know if maybe he's a character from another James Patterson book. It seemed like maybe he was. I'm not sure. Um, but I did not like this, you know, sort of one-dimensional character who sort of seemed to, like, grunt in the right direction and rescue the girl at all times. So I'm looking for, you know, if it's a love story, let's say, a male character that comes with a point of view, a male character that has something interesting to offer, and a male character that is going to kind of have more than one general emotional frequency. The last thing I'm going to say that I really didn't like about this book is all of the characters were white, although now that we know what we know about James Patterson, that's not too surprising to anybody. And I really noticed it, and I really didn't like it, and I'm, you know, really just finding that not only is my commitment to read more diverse authors and more diverse stories um, become something that I was doing purposefully, it's actually become a preference of mine. And that preference was not highlighted in this book. So those are three things about this book that I didn't like that are going to fuel me to pick my next book. Now, I'm not able to tell you what I'm pick next, but um, actually, no, I probably could tell you what I pick next. Um, I'm actually going to do two things I'm because that was kind of spontaneous. The first thing I'm going to tell you is, okay, there's three things I didn't like about this book, and I'm going to recommend a book that's the opposite of that, and that is Get a Life, Chloe Brown by, oh shoot, who's it by? Ah, by Talia Hibbert. Get a Life, Chloe Brown is an awesome romance book. There is no violence in it. It is a character, uh, Chloe Brown, who is this chronically ill character. She has a chronic illness and she's, you know, very, very funny. And she has this sort of uh, bucket list of items uh, and she meets Red Morgan. He's a handyman with tattoos. And this romance story goes back and forth between their two points of view Red is a really fully fleshed out character. He's really thoughtful. He's been through his own issues in life that he's trying to work through. And so Chloe and Red make for a really dynamic couple. Red is a character that I think has been written with a lot of emotional layers. Some of them are on the outside, which he shares with Chloe, and some of them are internal. And because Talia Hibbert made the choice to write that point of view alternating, as the reader, we get we do get an inside view to um, Red's point of view and to his, you know, sense of desire and motivation, etc. The other thing about this book is Chloe Brown is a black character, Talia Hibbert is a black author, and there uh, are other diverse characters in this book. And that, um, you know, kind of goes against, goes, goes with 
my my three points of what I didn't like about Run Rose Run by James Patterson. So I did not like the violence. So I'm recommending a book with no violence. I did not like the one dimensional male, male character. So I'm going to pick a book with a more dimensional, more fleshed out male um, male love interest. And the last character, the last characteristic is I did not like that the book was not diverse at all. And so I'm picking a book with both a black main character, but also written by a black author. Um, the next, so that's a book I've already read, but the next book I'm going to read is actually called All My Rage by Saba Tahir. This is a, you know, emotionally, let's read the description on Goodreads. So this book has alternating timelines between Lahore, Pakistan and Juniper, California. It goes back and forth between um, this arranged marriage, uh, a life shaken by tragedy. They come to the United States, they open a motel, and then there's two best friends who have, you know, grown up together in the present, um, and then they have a fight that destroys their bond. So I'm just actually gonna read this book next. This is about these two diverse characters. This is a number one New York Times bestselling author, Sabah Tahir, who I've actually never heard of before. But this is a contemporary YA fiction novel. It's about family, forgiveness, love, and loss in a sweeping story that crosses generations and continents. This book is absolutely in one of my sweet spots for both being contemporary fiction. It's also romance and young adult. And all of those things totally work for me. I'm really excited to read this book next. Also, this book has 9,330 ratings on Goodreads and an average rating of 4.6, which I think is extremely high. Run Rose Run had an average of 3.93. The Gracier, oh god, I bet the Gracier had a really high average. Yeah, 4.15. Okay, you know what? Never mind. Let's like not talk about the Goodreads ratings. Goodreads, The Heights had 3.76 and Sleep Smarter, golly, three, Sleep Smarter had 3.95. So maybe we can't exactly use these as uh, reviews. However, 4.6 is one of the higher reviews I've ever seen on Goodreads. And um, we'll see if it, we'll see if it, we'll, we'll see if it lives up. Oh gosh, that's all for now. Um, I think I'm going to wrap this up. I can't say I would ever do a negative book review episode ever again. This was hard for me. It was hard because I'm, it's not really in my nature to be so negative, but also all of these books kind of stirred up something in me. And so I'm a little bit like cranky now. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to go like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, like have some chocolate or something to calm down. I, uh, if you like this episode, I really hope you'll connect with me on Instagram. You can find me on, uh, you can find me at medium.lady over there. If you want to connect with me on Instagram after the episode, you can go to my Instagram page and find the pink tile that aligns with the episode. Go ahead and leave your comments there. I'm always really happy to connect with listeners of the podcast. Very happy to follow up with any questions or thoughts that you had. Have you read any of the, these books? What did you think of them? Did you disagree with me? Either way, on Instagram, you can find a lot more of my writing, a lot more shenanigans, uh, more stuff related to the podcast. It's certainly not all books all the time over there, though I do talk about books all the, um, pretty often. I think I'm getting in my head a little bit about this episode. <laughs> I'm starting to have a few doubts, but I think that's a good sign to sort of step back, 
think it over and uh, and see what you think. You know, listen, um, I'm really happy that you're here. Thank you so much for listening. There's so many ways you could be spending your time and I'm so grateful that you choose to spend some of them with me. My name is Erin. This has been Medium Lady Talks episode 41 and I will see you again soon. Bye.